Greetings, and welcome to the Ceridian Second Quarter 2020 Earnings Conference Call. I will now turn the call over to your host, Mr. Jeremy Johnson. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, and good evening. On the call today, we have Ceridian CEO David Ossip and CFO Arthur Gatine. We do apologize for the additional conference call as our vendor had technical issues. Uh, I will read the safe harbor once again, and then uh, I'll hand the call over to David for, uh, before we go into Q&A. Uh, allow me to provide a disclaimer regarding forward-looking statements. Uh, this call may include forward-looking statements about our current and future outlook, guidance, plans, expectations and intentions, results, levels of activities, performance, goals or achievements, or any other future events or developments. These statements are based on management's reasonable assumptions and beliefs in light of information currently available to us. Listeners are cautioned not to place undue reliance on such statements. Each forward-looking statement is subject to risks and uncertainties that could cause actual results to differ materially from those set forth in such statements. We refer you to our previous filings with the SEC for information regarding the significant assumptions underlying forward-looking statements and certain risks and other factors that could affect our future performance and ability to deliver on these statements. We undertake no obligation to update or to revise any forward-looking statements made on this call except as may be required by law. Second quarter stockholder letter, earnings release, and quarterly report on Form 10Q have been furnished or filed with the SEC and will be available on the SEC's Edgar database in the U.S. and CEDAR database in Canada, as well as on the Ceridian Investor Relations website at investors.ceridian.com. I will now turn the call over to David. Thanks, Jeremy, and good evening, everyone, and thank you for joining our earnings call again. Uh, I hope everyone is healthy and doing well during this particular period of uncertainty. Uh, before we go to the Q&A, I want to just recap the highlights of the quarter. First, day force recurring exploit and constant currency grew by 24.2%. Uh, the second point is that we were pleased that gross, the gross margins on recurring increased 104 40 basis points, and excluding float would have grown 360 basis points, which gets us very close uh, to our mid-70 gross uh, margin on recurring that we've been speaking about for quite some time. Uh, third, on the sales side, Q2 sales were higher than Q2 sales of last year, and so a record Q2 of sales. Uh, the way that I would position Q2 is that the ACV or the sales in Q2 came in ahead of what we had expected at the beginning of the quarter, but obviously below what we had expected at the beginning of the year pre-COVID. However, when we look at Q3, uh, we expect that Q3 sales will be in line with the levels that we had expected prior to COVID, so at the start of the year. And so we're seeing a acceleration of sales momentum, obviously very healthy pipeline, getting us back to the uh, growth rates that we've experienced historically. In terms of customers, we saw the continuation of the move up market as evidenced in that the Trading 12-month day force revenue per customer increased by 13%. And if we look at it on an incremental day force basis, 
the uh, incremental size of a Dayforce customer grew by 68% year over year. Uh, so similar to the 63% level that we saw last quarter. Um, the net is that we're seeing acceleration in terms of pipeline and sales uh, in the marketplace. Customers are continuing to go live and we're continuing to invest in the long-term growth and in the scale of the business. Uh, with that, Jeremy, I'd like to hand it back to the operator for Q&A. At this time, if you'd like to ask a question, please press star then the number one on your telephone keypad. That is star then the number one. If you'd like to withdraw your question, press the pound key. Well, please hold one moment while we compile the Q&A roster. Uh, for everyone on the call, if you're having a problem uh, asking questions, please uh, possibly message uh, Jeremy with your question, and um, we'll take the questions via that medium as well. And your first question comes from the line of Daniel Jester with City. Yeah, uh, good evening. Uh, thanks, everyone, for, for getting back on again. Um, Maybe, uh, David, could you provide some additional color about kind of how you saw the months of the second quarter progress in terms of the employment level at your, your current customers? And can you also provide an update on what you're seeing in terms of furloughs versus um, permanent layoffs? How has that trended into June and, and, and July? Sure. Uh, thanks again for, for joining the call again. Uh, so we saw employment levels grow at our customers across the uh, quarter. Uh, so in other words, we, 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 um, if I look at uh, our cu the current month, the employment levels are higher than they were in July, and those are higher than in June, and those are higher than they were in May. Uh, however, the uh, uh, rate of growth um, has begun to level off somewhat. So even though we are still seeing week-over-week -week increases across the Dayforce day customers and the power pay customers, the increases aren't as much as we saw earlier uh, in the actual quarter. In terms of the trend between inactive or furloughed employees and active employees, we've seen the percentage of furloughed employees go down quite considerably from the beginning of the uh, quarter. Got it. That's helpful. And then just on the, on the guidance and the cadence for recurring X-Float Dayforce revenue, you know, it grew 23% in the quarter, and your guidance at the midpoint, I think, is about 15%. So that's, you know, an eight-point deceleration. But if I look at your shareholder letter, it looks like there's only a $5 million um, kind of additional impact from uh, lower employment counts. So can you help us kind of bridge um, what is driving the deceleration? Is it just the employment count, or is there other things that you're seeing as well? Thanks very much. Well, remember that you're comparing to strong quarters of last year, but you're seeing the impact of uh, March and through to Q2 in terms of um, a slowdown in terms of new business and some pushing out of some of the actual projects. Uh, in terms of day force recurring, so if we look at on an explode basis, as you pointed out, it was up 24.2% um, in the actual quarter. We've given guidance mid-range about 15% next quarter. But in the stockholder letter, uh, we mentioned that we would expect to see a beginning of a reacceleration going into Q4. Uh, so expecting a number above 18% in Q4. 
And given that we're expecting robust sales in Q3, uh, it takes about six to nine months, so two to three quarters, to move through the, uh, the system to revenue recognition. So I would expect in that time frame for us to return uh, to historical growth rates. Great. Thank you very much. Your next question comes from the line of Alex Zukin with RBC Capital. Hi, this is Robert Simmons on for Alex. Thanks for taking the question. Uh, can you give a little more color on the Accelity acquisition? Um, does the five to six million dollars revenue include any revenue write downs? And then, kind of, what's the kind of base growth rate for that business going forward? Sure. So, um, uh, thanks again for joining. I believe in the quarter, and Jeremy can confirm uh, the number from Accelity was actually two million, but it will be five million next quarter. Uh, remember that we acquired Excelity kind of mid-quarter, so we don't get the full revenue uh, for the full three months in, in the last quarter. Uh, in, in terms of write-downs, no, I don't believe it did include any write-downs. So, Jeremy, could you confirm that? That's correct, David. Okay, great. And then, uh, so you size the employment uh, revenue impact for 2Q and 3Q. Do you have any thoughts on what it might be 4Q if the kind of transitioning now continue? Should it shrink in 4Q from the 8 million? So remember, on Excelity, uh, we purchased it from a strategic uh, perspective uh, that it gives us coverage in another 11 countries in APJ. The longer term growth in those regions will come uh, from the extension of the Dayfalls application to native payroll for those countries. Uh, obviously, with COVID, um, we're somewhat impacted in how quickly we can do the integration and start to move the technology over to Dayforce. So what we've done is we've focused on building our Dayforce connected pay in the meantime to the Excelity technology, which gives us uh, one system for uh, HR and payroll and workforce management across those particular jurisdictions. Uh, so, in terms of the revenue that I would expect from Excelity, I don't expect it to change materially until we start to do the migration to Dayforce. Okay, great. And then, uh, could, do you have any thoughts on the size of the employment impact to um, the future quarters after 3Q? Uh, would you expect that to shrink going forward? I, I, look, we're still seeing employment numbers go up week over week. Uh, we, we, we don't know what the impact is going to be of, of, Q, of, sorry, of wave two uh, coming through. Uh, I suspect that uh, you'll continue to see gradual increases in the employment rate, and you'll continue to see kind of a stabilization of the number of furloughed employees. But going out Q4 is, um, uh, you know, I don't want to try guess too much in terms of absolute numbers. Got it. Great. Thanks. And your next question comes from line of Samad Samana with Jeffries. Hi. Good afternoon. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, appreciate you hopping back on for us, David. Um, if I could, uh, if I could kick one off on the on the wallet side. You know, I, I saw that you have 40 pilot customers. You have another 100 that are waiting to be implemented. Could you give us any sense of what type of TPV those pilot customers are driving and or, you know, like how much do they represent in terms of wages, just so we can get a sense of, uh, of the opportunity? So, um, from, thanks 
again, for, for rejoining the course, still early days. Where we are is that we have 41 customers that are currently piloting the uh, wallet. And what a pilot means is in most cases we've um, limited the rollout to a percentage of the overall population. Um, what we are seeing across the active card users is an ARPU that's very consistent in the way that we had modeled the business, which is obviously very encouraging. In terms of the readiness of the wallet, uh, the wallet is what I would say approaching version one. So during this quarter, we continued uh, to add capability. For instance, we completed uh, the rollout to New York, uh, which was uh, had a few uh, uh, more kind of legislative hurdles than some of the other states. So we now have the wallet available in all 50 states. Some of the development that we're doing at the moment is to add pay card functionality, and that's required to make the cards available to workers who are under the age of 18, and also to provide a, um, an option for the unbanked employees to use the Dayforce wallet instead of getting paper checks and such. And so both of those will expand the available market for us. Uh, also, in the quarter, uh, we're beginning to uh, do the build for bill pay, uh, which again will allow us to capture more of the, um, uh, the aggregate spend of the actual employee. So it, it's still quite early, but again, the ARPU numbers are coming in in line of what, in what we had expected. Great, helpful. And then maybe just uh, you know follow up on the Dayforce recurring services exploit. You know, if I add back the $5 million impact in 2Q, that implies kind of a 29% normalized growth. And if I add back the $8 million for 3Q, it's still low 20s. And then, you know, same thing, it's, it's mid to high 20s for, for 4Q. So I just, I guess uh, what I'm trying to figure out is, is it fair to assume that mid to high 20s is the type of growth uh, that we could have expected ex-COVID? Uh, and then as I, I know it's too early to think about 2021, but... Is it fair to think about that exit rate into next year on a, on a let's call it the world going back to normal basis, that mid, mid-20s growth is durable for Dayforce recurring services exploits? So, uh, so Maj, I think you know that I, 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 I can't give numbers that we, we, we haven't kind of published type of thing. Uh, the numbers that you're seeing, obviously, in terms of uh, Q2, Q3, and obviously in Q4, um, are more than just the headwind of the $5 million in terms of employment numbers and the impact of the float. Uh, there obviously also was a slowdown in terms of sales and some pushes in terms of implementation um, that, have, uh, th that will take six to nine months to work their way through the actual system. So in terms of thinking about long-term growth rates, uh, it will basically be based off the ACV numbers that we see in Q3, which again are going to come in, we believe, in line with the numbers that we had at the beginning of the actual year. So back to kind of more historical growth rates for the business. Great. And then just I promise last one for me. Uh, I know you said for 3Q, new bookings are expected to be um, in line with your pre-COVID targets. As I think about maybe the guidance implied for 4Q, uh, does that also assume uh, pre-COVID level uh, bookings being achieved uh, in 4Q as well? Thanks again. Well, remember we don't. Uh, um, we we do some. By the way, we do some uh, um, 
a recognition, recognizing of PEPM revenue on provisioning now. But the majority of the time, we only recognize the recurring revenue when a client goes live. So when I look at the uh, day four recurring growth rate that we're expecting uh, Q3 or even Q4, it's not impacted by the sales that we do in, the current, in, in that current quarter. Great. Thank you for taking my questions. And your next question comes from the line of Scott Berg with Needham. Hi, everyone. Congrats on a great quarter, and thanks for taking my questions. I guess uh, two for me. Uh, first for you, David. We'll start off in the uh, comments here on the third quarter bookings. Just trying to understand how you're looking at relative to your pre-COVID expectations. Do you view the number of deals to be similar versus pre-COVID or kind of ASPs on transactions signed versus those pre-COVID expectations or kind of both of those will be in line with, uh, you know, what your thoughts were six months ago? So, uh, you know, at my level, I look at the, the uh, annual contract value. Uh, number. I, I don't look at the number of deals, uh, but rather I look at the total bookings that I expect them to close with inside the quarter. And so on a dollar amount, uh, it's in line with what we would have expected for Q3 at the beginning of the year. Got it. Helpful. And then from a follow-up perspective, you know, we see downturns like this often uh, strengthen strong competitors in space. And further weaken others, whether it's based on maybe inferior products or sales motions, et cetera. Do you feel like you have the opportunity to come through this in a relatively stronger position competitively, maybe than what you were six months ago? Not sure if you're seeing anything anecdotally that might uh, support or not support that kind of hypothesis. So we spoke about this last quarter. We continue to lean in into this period to strengthen our company. Uh, you've seen um, some significant key hires like uh, Joe joining the organization. Uh, Joe, Joe joins as Chief Product and Technology Officer. Uh, he comes from a, uh, a very well-established human capital management enterprise a player inside the actual marketplace uh, where he was CTO over there. And that obviously lifts up our organization uh, in terms of investments, we've continued to invest in the actual product. Uh, in fact, if you look at it on a cash spend basis, uh, you can see that we've continued to invest uh, in, in the actual uh, uh, business during this particular COVID period, uh, which is obviously very important. You know, in other words, if I look at Q2, we uh, spent on a cash basis about $16.9 million, which is up from 15.6 million in the same period last quarter. On the sales and marketing side, continue to invest, although the move to digital marketing did yield about a $2 million savings on the marketing side. And uh, even with that, we were able to get about two times as many uh, touches uh, with the customers as we typically would have gotten from the more traditional types of um, uh, 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 summits. So yes, I, I do believe we'll, we'll come out uh, of this particular period of uncertainty, uncertainty as a very strong organization. Excellent. Congrats again, and thanks for taking my questions. Oh, thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Markin with Bayard. Uh, good evening, and thanks for taking my question. Um, 
gross margin X float on recurring was was quite strong, and and that was despite the loss of the incremental, you know, paper control revenue from from the unemployment situation. Can you talk a little bit about how that compared to expectations and just how that how that how you ended up managing to do that despite the the headwind from the the increased unemployment? Yeah, so uh, look, I, I think the 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 improvements in the gross uh, margin on recurring are is a very positive story. I mean, the, the numbers went up 140 basis points year over year, despite uh, having a five million dollar uh, revenue headwind. Uh, where the benefit is, where the uh, improvements are coming back coming from, is that obviously the Dayforce technology is highly scalable. And so as we grow the revenue, we see lower support and hosting costs for the application. Uh, if we look at the actual business, X flow, Dayforce gross profit on recurring grew by 360 basis points, um, which takes us very close to the mid-70s uh, gross margin on recurring that we've been speaking about for a long time. So we're very pleased with that number. Yeah, I, I thought it was very impressive, particularly given the headwind from the employment side. Well, on on the professional services, David, how how should we think about um, you know what what drove that the, the gross margins there this quarter, and how we should think about that on a go forward basis? Yeah, particularly there, there were two elements really: the uh, move to work from home um, at both us and our customers meant that it did take, in some cases, longer. Uh, to do the same task. So we saw, although we saw hours at the levels that we had expected, we saw billable utilization uh, our, our rates come down with inside the actual quarter. Uh, obviously, I think things have stabilized. I think our customers now have the technology and the platforms to be efficient from working from home. They aren't as distracted as they were at the beginning of the second quarter in terms of getting adjusted. Uh, in terms of uh, our organization, I think we've become very efficient in, in terms of um, how to run a professional services organization in a work-from-home basis. Um, the second kind of uh, a headwind that we had uh, was that there, uh, there was a slowdown on professional services types of work, which are the higher margin businesses. And also, if you look at the percentage of revenue in that line item that came from clocks, um, it declined to 10% from um, uh, effectively 17% in the prior quarter. And again, the clock revenue typically is a higher margin business. So a clock sales obviously under pressure, uh, given that in a, a non-touch world, uh, there's less demand and with people working from home, again, uh, there's less requirement for clocks. But I would expect that both the professional services and the clock business will recover with time. Okay, but, but probably not in the immediate quarter, or, or would that, or would we see a bounce back right away? No, I, I think it will take time. I, I think the the uh, the clock revenue and the professional services and other is somewhat dependent on uh, people coming back to work. Great, and then you you noted a number of. of Really nice wins. Any changes with regards to notable changes with regards to the reasons why you were selected, uh, or a difference in terms of being able to close them relative to the past? How how's your 
your reputation? And, well, and I, I think our competitive positioning has strengthened. And I, I think that's been driven by obviously having a lot of momentum in the marketplace, uh, having a very differentiated product, but also from some of the great work that Lee's sales team has been doing in positioning the value that our systems create for our customers. And so if I look at the particular uh, quarter and where we took the, uh, the business away, um, we um, uh, did replace um, uh, you know, several of our competitive systems. Uh, we won against the uh, ERP uh, 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 competitors on a regular basis. Um, and you know, also, if I look at the wins we got, some of the ones we highlighted, one point I would make is that they weren't the industries that I would have guessed at the beginning of COVID. We, you know, we, we highlighted a 100,000 employee rental car company that uh, signed up for Day Force uh, in the quarter. Uh, we um, sold a um, system to the fifth largest theater chain in, in, uh, in North America, uh, which I wouldn't have expected either. So we're seeing wins across industry, and what, where we see it coming from is that there's been an acceleration of companies digitizing their critical systems. So those companies that did not have a robust cloud solution prior to COVID are moving very quickly to, to, to get such a system. What, what would spur a company, I, I appreciate what you said in terms of the changes in COVID, but for a rental car company and a theater change, chain, it would seem like they would have a lot of other pressing matters besides, um, you know, their HCM system. Is, Remember is that HCM system is not an optional system. Uh, payroll is a critical system. And um, most for most organizations, the majority of their expenditure is people. And if you did not have a system that you could operate with reliability and predictability uh, 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 you know, during a period like COVID where you can't have your IT staff going to the premises, you move very quickly to get critical systems that uh, have those characteristics. Thanks for the color. Congrats. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Mark Murphy with J.P. Morgan. Yes, thank you, and I'll have my congrats. Um, David, regarding the, the bottoming out and the expected pickup in the new bookings, especially in Q3, does it give you any inclination to possibly lean in incrementally more aggressively with sales hires as you – as you come out of Q4 and into 2021, or um, do you do you look at what you have in the field and sense that there's enough capacity as is or, or kind of with the current plan? So, uh, Mark, we're continually going to invest in our people, and we continually are going to attract and onboard uh, the best talent that we can, uh, especially on the sales side. Uh, however, it's not only our sales group. Um, uh, in the quarter, we did sign uh, several agreements uh, with the largest uh, SIs, and we have now moved on to training their resources on the day four system. And the partnership with the large SIs is going to be a big focus of our sales 
organization or our go-to market team over the next 12 to 24 months. So in addition to investing in direct sellers, we are now investing quite significantly in SIs, which we believe, again, will accelerate our growth into both the enterprise and global markets. Okay, <clears throat> very clear. And then just as a follow-up, um, if you think back, David, uh, to a few months ago in the, the category of companies that were engaging in some type, some type of surge hiring, uh, for example, as Amazon might have done or Shopify might have done, what is that hiring trend now among that uh, category, and does, does the surge feel like it's something that's enduring to you? I, I, I do, Mark. I, I, I look. I, I think coming out of COVID, we're going to see a somewhat adjusted economy. Uh, certain organisations, I think, are going to come out more tighter, uh, with less headcount that they had going in. Uh, and it could be that they should have had less people in their organization beforehand and COVID forced them to make or to get make to get more efficient. Uh, you are going to see other organizations that are going to come out bigger uh, just based on the way that I think consumer uh, trends have changed from COVID. And I think many of those changes are going to be on a long-term basis. So we are still seeing uh, organizations that were Hiring early on in COVID uh, continue to grow and invest. Uh, but we're also seeing a, a movement from, say, furloughed employees back to active, and we are seeing uh, a general increase uh, in terms of headcount at our clients. But uh, as Jeremy pointed out, I think, uh, in a, earlier, the, uh, the, the, uh, the increases that we're seeing uh, week over week are leveling off they still are going up, but the rate of increase has slowed down a bit from the beginning of the quarter. Very good. Thank you. Your next question comes to the line of Michael Turin with Wells Fargo Securities. Hey there. Good evening. Thanks for taking the extra time here. David, you've laid out a number of growth drivers that continue to move up market, expanding internationally. You've got Wallet and and other new modules you mentioned in the shareholder letter. Can can you maybe also just help us out with the expected cadence of those drivers? Which of those are you expecting can show up here in, in 2021 as growth drivers, and, and which of those are maybe still a bit further out in terms of your plans? Yeah, so look, what I would say is that we've been quite consistent in having uh, the same five growth levers for the business since the, really the inception back in 2012, 2013. Uh, what we do know is we're playing in this massive market, of, and we believe we have about a 3 to 4% market share. So there's just still tons and tons of growth for us inside the market. Uh, the growth, as you pointed out, firstly comes from acquiring new customers, and you're seeing us do that every quarter. We increase the number of customers. Uh, the second is that we typically extend the platform with new modules, and then we go back to those customers and we sell them the new modules. And we spoke about in the shareholder letter the success of the engagement surveys module and the launch uh, now of the Dayforce Hub and Business Intelligence, which both, again, will drive additional revenue from our customer base. Uh, typically, about 20% of our quarterly sales come from add-ons. 
Uh, the third growth driver is we move up market, and you see that evidenced in that the trading 12-month revenue per customer increased by 13% in the quarter. And if I look at it on an incremental new day force customer, the size of the customer grew 68% year over year, which is consistent, again, with what we saw last quarter, which was an increase of 63%. Uh, the fourth growth is a driver as we move globally. And you see that in some of the wins that we actually highlighted in the shareholder letters, that we are winning consistently now on a global basis. Uh, strategically, you saw our investment with the acquisition of Excelity, which increases us uh, or increases our range into 11 new countries in APJ. And you also see that in the investments that we're making now in SI partnerships, which we believe as well are uh, very, um, uh, uh, you know, have a lot of potential for both the enterprise and the global markets. And then lastly, we move into adjacent markets. And what we really mean by that is that there are ways that we can increase the revenue that we get from the employees of our customers. And so you saw us launch the Dayforce wallet. It's going really, really nicely. The numbers again, 41 customers piloting the wallet. Now more than 100 other customers have signed on uh, to use the wallet, not just waiting for implementation. And that effectively adds quite significantly to the recurring revenue we can get uh, per employee across our customer base. Great. Thank you very much. And your next question comes from the line of Brad Clark with Bank of Montreal. Hi. Thank you for taking my question. I just want to touch just a bit more on the international uh, expansion part of the growth. You mentioned being able to expand into APJ with part of Accelerity. I wanted to pivot over to Europe um, specifically within the U.K. and you're building out payroll in Germany. What have been some of the challenges and also positives of expansion into Europe? And do you think that's a faster timeline than the APJ expansion? Um, thank you. Yeah, so uh, thanks again for joining the call. So uh, they're two quite different. Um, in the U.K., we've been in the U.K. now with the Dayforce product, I believe, for about two years, and we've seen some significant wins and traction. Uh, with the um, UK uh, product. Uh, we also uh, uh, built out native payroll for Ireland, which really completes that UK-Ireland uh, uh, market, if you like, and we've seen a lot of success over there. In terms of Germany, we already have uh, several very significant customers uh, that are based out of Germany. Uh, several of them have hundreds of thousands of employees, and they all are global customers headquartered out of Germany. Uh, what we're doing now is obviously we're adding native payroll for Germany, and we expect to complete that in 2021. And once we have that, that will form a base for us to extend uh, into Europe around Germany. So if you're in Germany, you can go very nicely into Switzerland, you can go into the Benelux countries uh, and the like, and it gives you a very, very strong base. Uh, in addition to Europe, we're also looking at Latin America, and we currently are building up Mexico, as you pointed out, which is a very similar type of model, except that there are a lot of manufacturing organizations in the U.S. who do have facilities in Mexico. And so we expect we'll see a natural uptake from there. And then lastly, that what I don't want to get left out is that in the second quarter, 
we built and we launched um, native payroll for Mauritius. Mauritius is part of Africa, and we also signed uh, the largest uh, uh, company in Mauritius that's expected to go live next quarter. Uh, the significance of that is that it gives us also a launch pad into the Middle East and parts of Africa uh, from Mauritius that we believe does have potential to. And once again, in order to ask a question, please press star then the number one. And your next question comes from line of Stephanie Price with CIBC. Hi, good evening. Thanks for taking my question. I wanted to focus in on the implementation timelines. You mentioned in your customer in your uh, president's letter some customer delays, and wondering if you continue to see those into Q3 and how we should think about those implementation timelines. So our first customers are still continuing to go live. Um, uh, there will be some impact, obviously, into Q3 in terms of um, professional services, implementation, and clusters I've kind of discussed beforehand. Um, given that we are expecting quite a uh, strong sales quarter in Q3, I would expect that in subsequent quarters that you'll begin to see the professional services and other uh, revenue line begin to grow again quite nicely. Uh, in terms of the margins on the professional services and other, uh, as I mentioned, um, we saw lower billable utilization rates really caused by the shift to a work-from-home environment of both us and our customers. Uh, but I do believe that um, the, the world has stabilized. In other words, people know now how to work quite efficiently remotely, uh, whereas at the beginning of the quarter, I think people were still coming up the learning curve and so I would expect um, the, 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 the trend to kind of uh, begin to improve from there. Great, thank you. And then also hoping to give us an update on the outlook for PowerPay. Sure, so in terms of PowerPay, uh, it's, um, as you know, it's a Canadian-only business targeting companies that are relatively quite small. And that part of the economy obviously got impacted more than the market that, than, that they all serves. Uh, when we talk about PowerPay, uh, there are kind of three revenue streams. Uh, one of the revenue streams is we get paid based on a pay. So if you get a check or direct deposit, we get a certain payment for that. And with employment levels coming down more in that segment, obviously we're impacted. The uh, second area is that we also charge per active customer. And we saw the number of active customers drop down as well with inside the actual quarter. Um, however, as we are seeing the employment levels in that sector come back quicker than we are seeing for the overall day force market, I would expect that as we get into kind of a Q4 time frame, we'll begin to see some improvement. Great, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, Jeremy, anything that you would add around the power pay side? No, I think you you said it nicely. It's that you know we saw uh, uh, you know a decline in in Q in Q2 pretty pretty quickly, and then uh, it's it's coming back very nicely. And I think you can see that reflected in our guidance. Great, thank you. And your next question comes line of 
Arvind Romani with Piper. Hi. Uh, hey, th thanks for taking my question, uh, and uh, congrats on another good quarter. Um, you know, in, in your shareholder letter, you have provided uh, excellent color on the client sign-ups, and you, you know, some of your remarks earlier, you, you talked about client sign-ups. Uh, sign so, you know, sort of assuming a lot of those clients have signed up uh, remotely and they're getting started remotely, uh, do you anticipate making uh, some uh, permanent changes in, in your sales sales process and sales teams? Uh, that's a great question, and yes, um, we, we have and will continue to do that. Uh, so two aspects on that. One, early on, we uh, moved very quickly to a digital marketing first approach, so holding summits virtually as opposed to in, in person. And we saw effectively the number of um, people that we were able to reach go up by about two times. And that has strengthened our pipeline quite considerably. So we've, we've seen a lot of success over there. We also saw a much lower cost of event. In fact, we saved about $2 million just from moving to our virtual summit. Uh, we recently announced that our annual customer conference insights is also going to be a virtual event. And we expect to see a similar impact from insights as we have in previous years. Uh, in addition to that, we are making a shift to what I'd call more of a digital sales uh, methodology. In other words, taking advantage of how people have adjusted to working from home and using technologies that allow uh, people to communicate very, very effectively from afar. Great, great. Um, and then, you know, I had a follow-up question on your um partnerships with uh, system integrators, and, you know, I certainly agree with you that uh, there's a lot of value in working with SIs uh, in terms of uh, driving accelerating growth, and, you know, your, your margins will also uh, be, will help to offload some of the, you know, essentially the people work to these uh, to these SIs. Um, you know, but, but, but can you kind of talk a little bit about how you're going to balance, you know, essentially uh, your own sort of direct cha sales channel uh, and kind of growing with, you know, incenting your sales teams versus incenting, incenting their size? Well, what I would point out is that we're, we're not inventing the wheel over here. That when we look at how the successful ERP companies and other enterprise software companies go to market in the large enterprise and in the global segment, uh, this is how they do it. It's typically very strong partners with the SIs, and the SIs are able to obviously influence uh, the selection of the various types of vendors. Uh, the second part as well is that we can get more scale for implementation by having the SIs front the implementation for customers in those segments. And in order to do that, it provides an opportunity for us to also begin charging um, for the recurring revenue upon provisioning as opposed to upon go-live, which again is the way that almost all cloud companies actually do price their software. Uh, so the, the, I think the benefit of all three of those uh, gives us a lot of uh, optimism that partnering with the SIs and investing in the SI channels will allow us to accelerate the growth rate of the business. 
Great, great, super helpful. Uh, thank you very much. And your next question comes from the line of Brad Zelnick with Credit Suisse. Hi everyone, this is Yao Chu on for Brad Zelnick. Thank you for taking my question. Great to see the execution here and hope everyone is staying safe. Uh, I want you to double click on Enterprise. Uh, congrats on your new CTO hire. There's a lot of threads here. You've talked about uh, building out international functionality. You've talked about increasing SI involvement. Uh, again, big CTO hire here. Uh, with the environment stabilizing somewhat, would you say this is catalyzing more opportunities for Leah and the team in Enterprise? I guess the question I had as well on, on some of those customers you called out, uh, the movie chain theater and the rental car company, were these customers who were in the pipeline and accelerated stuff as a result of the new offerings that you had or brought in newly as a result of COVID forcing these opportunities uh, 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 down the funnel per se? So let me start with the last question. So as I mentioned, um, we have seen an acceleration of some of the deals, especially on companies that had on-prem systems, that um, if you had an on-premise system during COVID, you weren't able to send your IT team in, or if you did send your IT team in, uh, you were putting them into what could, potentially could have been kind of an unsafe environment. Uh, so companies have accelerated investments in critical systems like uh, Dayforce during this particular period, and I think that would kind of speak to both the rental car company and the theater company. Um, in, in terms of uh, success in the market, up, uh, in the upper market, I think that is true as well. And what we're finding is that our value proposition, which again is that we create quantifiable value uh, by implementing our solutions. So if you buy from us, we'll say here are the three or four KPIs that we can directly impact at your organization. And a 1% movement on that KPI translates into this amount in terms of dollar savings. And I do believe that that quantifiable value proposition is resonating exceptionally well in today's environment. Understood. Very helpful. Thank you. And I think I'm the, just referring to a comment made on the, the first callback uh, on, on retention. You mentioned stable retention. And I just wanted to understand, uh, th does this surprise you, given where we are in the economic cycle right now? Um, maybe asked a different way, business failures continue to happen as we continue through. Do you see any of the customer base at risk at this point, and do you account for that in guidance in any way? So, look, I think we've been confident on the business all along, and if you recall at the very beginning of COVID, we had a series of analyst and investor calls where we spoke about the health and the robust nature of the actual business. Um, the, uh, the fact that we do get revenue from furloughed employees, uh, I think we called out early and that we, we felt that that uh, would give us a bit of a cushion or safety uh, in the, what was going to be a, kind of a difficult period going forward. Uh, we also did believe that our value proposition that I spoke about was going to resonate even stronger and further differentiate us from some of the uh, competitors. Um, in terms of the COVID period, I am very proud of the way that the organization acted. They, 
the, the, um, the webinars that we held uh, helping customers adjust uh, to this period, uh, helping them do the necessary configuration for the various types of government programs and subsidies uh, so that they could help their particular employees. Uh, the use of the Dayforce product uh, in terms of being able to help employees work from home, uh, the way that the organization could use the technology to communicate really easily and effectively with its employee base uh, during this very difficult period, uh, did, did really uh, kind of resonate. And then some of the investments that we've continued to make in terms of leaning in, in terms of continued investments in product. In, in the quarter, we launched two new products and the Dayforce wallet, and that's during a period of, of, of COVID. Uh, in terms of organizational strength, uh, several key hires, uh, including the new Chief Product and Technology Officer, who I, I believe is wonderful and definitely will strengthen the product and the organization and the culture of the company. Uh, so, you know, I, I would say that we're very confident on the future of the business. Thank you very much. And your next question comes to the line of City Panagrahi with Mizuho. Uh, thanks for taking my question. In fact, uh, good to be back again uh, on the call. Uh, David, uh, just uh, in, in terms of cross-sell opportunity, uh, I understand within your install rate, you don't have much control over unemployment rate. Uh, but given that so many products you, you know, uh, released in the last few years, what sort of uh, trends are you seeing in terms of cross-selling then to your install base and what sort of opportunity you think ahead? Well, if I look at COVID, I think, uh, you know, the requirement to have a learning management system uh, is very important. Uh, we're seeing, seeing quite a strong demand for the Dayforce Hub, which is just about to be released, uh, which is, uh, really allows customers to create that communication uh, portal that matches the experience that they would like for their particular employees. Uh, the demand for the Dayforce wallet uh, is quite strong. We're quite pleased with the traction that we're getting, even with the uh, early version of the actual product. Uh, so yes, uh, much like other software companies, we obviously are looking for cross-sell opportunities across our base. And, and then on the follow-up to the Dayforce wallet, I understand this is the first release and you are doing a control release as well with the 41 customer you said. But when you think about this environment, this is a nice perk for any employer uh, to offer to employees and it doesn't cost them anything, neither to employer or employee. So where do you see when you think of you know adding other features and when you think about your install base, uh, uh, where do you see, you know, what, what you know, 100 customer you said next quarter, but how, how big it could be in terms of penetration? Well, my, my belief is that on the long term that um, having access to on-demand pay, uh, which again requires the continuous calculation engine that we have in Dayforce, is going to be the norm um, in, in, um, in America and in Canada. Uh, remember, the way that it works at the moment is most people get paid on a weekly or bi-weekly basis which means that they're paid in arrears and effectively are loaning their employer, their wages during that period of time. 
And what the uh, Dayforce product does, it uh, allows the employee to see how much they've earned net of all taxes and deductions and have the ability to add that to their wallet and to go spend it immediately, which is, is their right. And that's obviously a tremendous benefit. Uh, a, a few kind of pointers we've spoken about beforehand. The vast majority of people, regardless if they're hourly or salary, do live paycheck to paycheck. And that they struggle really to bridge their finances and often have to resort to payday loans, which have uh, annualized interest rates of upwards of about 400%. Uh, or they leverage their credit cards, which have interest rates above 20%. Um, also, if you look at the various types of studies, uh, a, a high percentage of people's wages are actually spent within a day of them receiving the check. And so you have this kind of splurge spending that happens when people get their paycheck just on a bi-weekly basis or weekly basis, and getting paid continually uh, alleviates that, and you see kind of spending levels be much more responsible. Um, when I look at the actual market, so if I'm a customer, I'm going live with Dayforce, um, being able to speak about the wallet to their employees at the time of implementation is a very big positive because there's obviously some change management that has to happen, moving to a new system, and if an organization can say you'll be getting a Dayforce wallet, which gives you the ability to get paid on a daily basis, as opposed to on a bi-weekly or weekly basis, that's a big benefit for the actual employee base and excites people to use the Dayforce application. Uh, also, the fact that the Dayforce wallet is available in the Android and in the uh, iOS uh, app stores means that when the employees go to download the Dayforce app, they're going to see the wallet application and ask their employer uh, when it's going to be available. So uh, I think it's quite important for new Dayforce customers to really speak about um, the Dayforce wallet, which may not be uh, turned on, on on the first day of going live with the uh, customer, but they should have a vision as to when they'll offer that benefit to them. Thanks for the caller, David. Ladies and gentlemen, there are no further questions at this time. This concludes today's conference call, and you may now disconnect. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.